every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. Welcome to Monday and a brand new week. Just two more weeks of business and finance news until Christmas. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk for Monday, the 11th of December. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, China's consumer prices fell by the most in three years as the world's second largest economy grapples with worsening deflation. China's consumer prices fell by half a percent year on year in November, accelerating downwards from a 0.2% drop in the prior month and compared with economists' forecasts of a 0.1% fall. It was the fastest decline in the consumer price index since November 2020, as the cost of food decreased at the fastest pace in over two years, amid a further 32% fall in pork prices. President Xi Jinping last week warned that the country's economic recovery was still at a critical stage, as officials pledged to step up fiscal and monetary support. In a speech to a political gathering in Beijing, President Xi said that although the economic recovery from the pandemic was improving, it faced an adverse international political and economic environment and overlapping domestic cyclical and structural challenges. He said the development situation facing our country is complex. Jobs growth in the US was stronger than expected last month, in part boosted as striking workers in Hollywood and the car industry returned to work. Employers added 199,000 jobs in November, surpassing the 150,000 added in October and exceeding market expectations of a 180,000 gain. That helped to push down the jobless rate to 3.7%, the lowest level since July. As well as stronger than expected job gains, the report showed average hourly pay ticking up 0.4% from October. Average hourly earnings have climbed 4% from November 2022. EU lawmakers have agreed the terms for landmark legislation to regulate artificial intelligence in what's likely to become the first major regulation governing the emerging technology in the Western world. The law divides AI into categories of risk from unacceptable, meaning technologies that must be banned, to high, medium and low risk forms of AI. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management and David Friedland, Managing Director of Asia Pacific at Interactive Brokers. And providing a view from mainland China will be Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. There are plenty of ways to get in touch. With any questions or comments, you can go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. While you're there, please take a look at my daily newsletter, which has plenty more business and finance news from Hong Kong and across Asia. I'm on Facebook, Peter Lewis Money Talk is my page, and on X, you can find me at Money Talk R3. On Wall Street on Friday, US stocks reversed an initial hawkish reaction to the better-than-expected non-farm payrolls report and closed at their highest level in 20 months. All the three major averages closed 0.4% higher on Friday. The S&P 500 closed at 4,604, the highest since March 2022. The Nasdaq Composite Index closed at 14,404, that's its highest close since January 2022. And the Dow rose 130 points to end the session at 36,248. Energy stocks were the week's biggest losers, while tech and discretionary outperformed. The Magnificent Seven stocks soared back up to near record highs. For the week, the Nasdaq rose 0.7%, while the S&P 500 climbed 0.2%. And the S&P 500 index has notched its longest weekly winning streak in four years. The Dow was flat over the week. 
US Treasuries sold off on Friday after US jobs data surprised to the upside, reducing expectations that the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates soon. The rate-sensitive two-year note jumped 14 basis points to 4.72%. The yield on the 10-year note surged 11 basis points to 4.24%. And the yield curve is at, it, at its most inverted since September. The dollar surged higher last week after three straight weeks of declines. The US dollar index rose 0.4% Friday to 103.98 for a weekly gain of 0.8%. The yen pulled back from its recent peaks, where it's been boosted by speculation that the Bank of Japan is eyeing an exit from its negative interest rate policy. The yen was down 0.6% Friday, at 144.93 yen to the dollar, but strengthened 1.3% over over the week. The offshore yuan dropped 0.4% over the week to a three-week low of 7.18 and a half renminbi against the dollar after the strong US employment report boosted the US dollar. Gold was down 3.3% over the week at $2,003 an ounce, extending the pullback from the record high of $2,070 touched on the 1st of December. Oil prices rallied Friday, but are down seven weeks in a row. Brent crude oil settled 2.4% higher on Friday at $75.84 a barrel, but was almost 4% lower over the week. Cryptocurrencies ruled higher last week. Bitcoin and Ethereum reach up around 13%. Bitcoin spiked up to $44,000, its highest since April 2022. And Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index. It raised earlier gains to trade marginally below the flat line in its final hour. It closed 12 points lower, that's about 0.1%, at 16,334. For the week, it was down 2.9%, hitting a 13-month low on Tuesday. The Shanghai Composite was up 0.1% at 2,970 on Friday, but down 2% over the five trading days. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 33 points lower this morning. Trading expected to start with the index around 16,300. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. And it's time to welcome the beginning of a new week. Our Monday morning guests we have with us as always on a Monday morning, Alex Wong, director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Morning, Alex. Hi, morning, Peter. And also with us is David Friedland, who is Managing Director for Asia Pacific at Interactive Brokers. Morning to you, David. Good morning. Um, China's consumer prices fell by the most in three years as the world's second largest economy grapples with worsening deflation. China's consumer prices fell half a percent year on year in November, accelerating downwards from a 0.2% drop in the prior month. That compared with economists' forecasts of a 0.1% fall. It was the fastest decline in the consumer price index since November 2020. The cost of food decreased at the fastest pace in over two years. Pork prices were down almost 32%. Core consumer prices, which exclude prices of food and energy, they increased by 0.6% year-on-year in November. That's the same as in October. On a monthly basis, though, the CPI dropped by half a percent compared with consensus and also compared with October's figure of a 0.1% decrease. Producer prices, which are measured at factory gates and heavily driven by the cost of commodities and raw materials, dropped by 3%. That's faster than a 2.6% fall in the previous month. They've remained in negative territory now for the whole of the past year. Um, Alex, do you want to kick off? What's this uh, telling us about the state of the economy? Of course, uh, it remains bad. I think uh, we have 
or, or, or mentioned earlier in the show that uh, China actually is uh, in a very super competitive uh, business environment. So um, businessmen actually tend to uh, cut the prices to compete. So that's why I think uh, this is in a natural deflationary environment. And then uh, pop prices come down much more than expected. And, and then that helped to uh, push the figures lower as well. And then I think uh, uh, the overall outlook is still quite bad. I think uh, this is uh, this will um, accelerate, and I think uh, the 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 competitive environment actually would would continue. So China would still be in a deflation environment. For the PPI, I think uh, this uh, probably would be like uh, what we have seen a decade ago. Uh, that I think uh, figures probably will remain negative for quite for for some years. Is it at a level where you're starting to get worried, this deflation and also the way in which it's continuing? Or do you take heart from the fact that a lot of this is driven by food and therefore maybe, you know, that's not such a, a bad thing? How, how do you feel about it overall? I think uh, it, it still uh, would be um, uh, something getting uh, uh, worse and worse because uh, this is uh, already becoming an expectation and the housing market actually uh, would not recover soon. So I think uh, overall, uh, this deflationary environment actually will persist. So uh, this is quite worrying. David, what, what are your thoughts about this? And, and what is it telling us about the state of domestic demand on the mainland? Yeah, I, I think um, it is quite troubling. Um, you know, for, for a while, I thought maybe the COVID shocks would get over it. You get through it after a year, but um, they're still occurring. Um, there's... Yeah, the troubling for me is not not necessarily the food pricing going down. It's more the housing market, which hasn't been um, fully addressed. You know, they're going after the developers are still having trouble. You have to somehow get demand in, uh, to increase, or or at least to have the um, the psychic the, the the psychology behind buying housing. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to be better. It's going to save lives. But the, but the people the, the um, everything just keeps going to go down. There's not going to be funding, and that just becomes a vicious cycle. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, is it? It's not yet at the levels that we saw in Japan, is it, three decades ago when Japan entered in deflation and it turned into a real deflationary spiral that was difficult to, for the Japanese government to get out of because not only were consumer prices declining, so were asset prices, they were declining, financial instruments were declining um, as well. But is there a risk that things could get as bad as that or are we a long way off from that? I certainly hope we're all, and think we're a long way off from that. There's a lot more going on in China. I mean, the the um, the, the one thing you know is it's all and it's all anecdotal. It's all an antidote. But um, I know people. Everyone's going there. They're traveling there. And they say it's booming. So when people go to the streets, it is mm. actually um, there's a lot going on. People because it's so cheap now, especially from Hong Kong. Um, so I think as tourism picks up, they open up a bit more. Um, and slowly, and they have a government that can't fail, that they have no choice here. So they're going to have to figure something out. And and the reality is, you know, China has great manufacturing, this great technology. So I think it's just going to be, you know, hopefully more of a um, short-term pain than, than longer-term, um, you know, decades-long suffering. Mm. Um, but I, I you have to be optimistic here. This is one of the odd things, isn't it? The, the figures say, when you look at these deflationary numbers, they say domestic demand is basically weak. But then, yes, if you're one of the Hong Kong people who travels over the border to Shenzhen for the weekend, it doesn't look like weak domestic demand there at all, does it? No, I, I, I can't speak because I haven't been there. But from um, as it's for the people who go there, yeah. And and, um, and I know family that's traveled um, 
into China, you know, deeper uh, in, into other parts of China, and then tourism is doing very well. But it's all domestic travel at this point, really Hong Kong, and um, it's domestic economy, domestic people keeping things um, going. You got to get uh, open up a bit more. And um, I think it's just really, I think it all comes down to housing in the end, because that's where, and jobs, because jobs also are being tight right now globally. Um, so, you, get the, you know, it's a cycle. We're always in a cycle. It's never as bad as it seems. It's never as great as it goes. Um, you know, one thing I, I think we're, we're also looking at is, is when the economy is doing extremely well, um, you know, the housing market in, in, in particular, they just let it go full steam ahead thinking it's going to go great forever. And that always has repercussions. Mm -hmm. And we had that in the markets when they get overly excited, you know, it's great when they go up, but they're horrendous when they go down, but you, you, they were feeding the fire for, for too long. Now you're paying the price. Mm. Alex, how, how do we explain this sort of disconnect between what the figures are saying, which is which is weak domestic demand, but it's not necessarily what people are reporting on the ground who travel around the mainland. They're seeing, you know, quite good signs of, of, uh, of things, you know, doing pretty well. Well, I think uh, if you look at Shenzhen case, uh, this is a bit um, distorted. Uh, if you go uh, in the weekends, then probably you could see quite busy travels. But if you go in on the weekdays, actually the mall are not that crowded as well. So I think uh, this is a bit uh, distorted because they are supported by Hong Kong people, mm. not by the locals. So that's why this is a little bit um, uh, distorted picture. I think uh, uh, China actually is opening up its uh, tourism. We are, they, are, they are giving um, free, free they, they do not need visa. Um, uh, from Europe, certain European countries to enter now, so I think uh, they are doing some. They are addressing the issues, but uh, overall, I uh, if you look at China, you have to be a little bit careful about the figures and and the um, stock market because um, economic activities actually would be okay, but the profitability actually are uh, always not too okay because uh, comp competition is super high in China amongst mm. uh, businesses. Well, that's the problem with the, the stimulus that we're seeing, isn't it? There's calls for more stimulus. Uh, the government's redirecting investment now from property into manufacturing, but it still doesn't address the problem that it is not necessarily going into the right places, all this stimulus. It, it's still stimulus that's not going necessarily into, into good productive economic activities. I think that the, the main point is to have a transparency for uh, a longer term period because uh, people are not confident in putting capitals into China right now because uh, they do not know about the um, uh, the, the future picture and then that is also uh, comes from the negative experience over the last few years. Mm. I think uh, the overall key issue would be to uh, give business uh, confidence uh, to put in some serious uh, investment for a longer period. Right now uh, probably the stimulus only can uh, get a little bit uh, boost uh, on the stock market probably. But uh, that, I think, uh, is not helping uh, the real economy because uh, if you are if you want to put into productive uh, uh, businesses, actually you have to, two people have to commit for the long term. So uh, if, if they learn from the past few years experience, then they probably they would still be hesitate uh, to do so. David, is this good for the rest of the world? I mean, the rest of the world has got inflation. They've got the opposite problem to uh, to China and been trying to get it down. Some would argue that maybe they have been successful in getting it down. But does this help in terms of European and US, uh, the US central bank in terms of controlling their inflation? 
Maybe short term, but long term, you know, it, the bigger picture is, you know, you, you got to get foreign investment into China and that's that's geopolitical um, risk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's, you know, you know, China has a, has a, has a massive economy. There's a massive amount of money, there's massive consumers, big travelers. So if the economy in China is booming, it's going to pick up the rest of the world. So I don't know how it's a negative, how it can be negative if China's not doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you know, the underlying, you know, within China, I, you know, I have a slightly different view that Alex, I think people are okay, but the real issue, which we haven't touched, is investment into China. And that right now, no one wants to put money there because the markets aren't doing well. There's, there's this uncertainty on um, potential conflict. And it's um, something that has to be addressed. And I think well, as long as uncertainty, you're not going to get that investment coming in. So yeah, that doesn't last forever. Mm. I hope yeah, that has to be slowly addressed. I think it is slowly being addressed with, with um, talks in the U.S. Uh, with, with China and, and some political um, discussions going on. Does it matter about the mood is downgrade? Is that likely to put people off, or is that? Uh, I mean, the, the the reason for the downgrade mood is say was because of the worry that, um, you know, the, the the support for the local governments, the indebted local governments, is going to weigh on the economy overall. Is is that a consideration? I think it's somewhat of a consideration, but I always think that the agents, the, the rating agency, is always a little bit behind. They're not necessarily they're they're backwards looking rather than forward looking, um, just historically. Mm-hmm. Um, other agencies wouldn't like me saying that, but that's, you know, they're reactive. Um, and I don't think that the general population pays that much attention to that. What do you think, Alex? Is it something that uh, we should focus on or is it something you've ignored? I think the Moody's downgrade actually is not something too important because I think uh, uh, in the past few years, the, if you invest in the um, higher bond market in China, probably you will get hurt already. You'll, you'll probably lost uh, over over 70 percent uh then mm-hmm. probably people already know that kind of risk and and so i think that this is just uh, something confirming the downtrend in china is not too um important uh for the market well we've got the central economic work conference coming up in uh, mid-december this is supposed to be the uh, the main sort of economic planning uh forum of the uh, of, of the year there's been a lot of talk beforehand from president xi uh from the head of the the people people's bank of china about what uh, what maybe we should be looking for but do you think we're going to see anything there that could provide sort of policy support in the year ahead i think that they would probably do something but i think the market would not uh expect something too important because I think that they have already done what they can do in the past few uh, past years and I think people already uh, are losing confidence on policy supports mm. because uh, what you can do is not happening too much I think uh, what what they need to do is to restore confidence and give a clearer uh, long-term picture which uh, is quite difficult right now because of the geopolitical uh, situation in the world so that's why I think that the policy support may not helping too much. But if you listen anyway to the messages coming out before this from President Xi Jinping, from the head of the central bank, they seem to be saying there's going to be more pain to come rather than offering hope of some policy support. They're, they're warning us to sort of batten down the hashes a bit. Yeah, because uh, the policy support actually they, they, they have been giving uh, is not, is not uh, having too much impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I have said, the business confidence is the key. And right now it is quite difficult to restore that. 
So that's why I think that they are warning uh, there would be more pain to come. And and I don't think that they would be doing something drastic to bail out those uh, troubled developers. So that, I think, uh, would still be a painful long-term process in the property market. Okay. David, we mentioned Japan a little bit earlier. The Japanese economy surprisingly contracted 2.9% uh, in the third quarter, worse than the, the initial estimate of uh, 2.1%. Uh, Real wages also in Japan down now for the 19th straight month, sliding 2.3% year on year in October. This is sort of also something that's a bit at odds with the markets, isn't it? We're we're seeing a booming Japanese stock market, but a a rapidly slowing economy. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit surprising, but um, I guess if you look at the... Yeah, I don't know how much interest-related it is, because if if you have cash... And you're not in Japan, or even if you're in Japan, you're, you're not earning anything on that. And, mm. and it's this, where do you put your money? So a lot of it is leaving Japan. Um, it, it's um, it's interesting as well, because you know tourism in Japan uh, is, is getting a major boost, obviously, because of the uh, weakness of the yen. Um, but that doesn't really help um, imports. It doesn't... It, it doesn't make it easier to work there. So I, I, I'm kind of stuck on that one. It's, mm. um, I thought they, you know, the, the, the stock market has done so well this year. You think that would drive consumption and drive the, the economy higher, but I guess it hasn't happened. Well, this is again where the, the the economic data seems to be at odds with what you're experiencing when you go there, because the data is showing that consumption is continuing to fall um, over the summer, down 0.2%. But yet, all you hear about is this tourist boom, all these people visiting um, Japan, but it doesn't seem to be feeding through to domestic consumption. Yeah, that, that's... Um... It's, it's tough because you go there for us. It's it's so inexpensive to go there now because of the currency. But then you you have to put yourself in in, in, in if you're getting paid Japanese yen wages, the, the frank you know you, it doesn't go as far. It's expensive relative mm. to the rest of the world. Where you come in there and wow, this is the most. This is I mean for all of us visiting Japan, it's the um, it's incredible right now because it's so inexpensive relative to what we're used to. But if you flip the you know you put the shoe on the other foot, that can't be the case. Mm. Alex, what what are your thoughts on this? I mean, this is the deepest drop now in GDP since uh, the spring of 2020, quite a bit worse than what people were um, were forecasting. What do you put this down to? I think, uh, first of all, it would uh, give the market expect- expectations that the Japanese BOJ problem may not uh, be uh, able to reverse its uh, monetary policy soon. So I think that is helping Japan this uh, stock market right now. And uh, so after the correction last week, probably we may see uh, returning to strength uh, in the Japanese stock market. And uh, I think overall, uh, the Japanese actually are probably a little bit weak in their local spending because uh, of the um, uh, inflationary pressure over there. And then the um, the, the, the gloomy expectations are among themselves. I think uh, they probably may still uh, learn from the past experience uh, that uh, they tend to save more and then uh, they probably reckon the Japanese yen is so weak, so prices may come up soon. So that's why I think uh, the local spending actually is a bit weak. And of course, uh, Japan is a is an old country uh, in in demographic uh, uh, situation. So I think uh, this is why uh, we are seeing a weak uh, local consumption. But uh, overall, tourism, uh, tourism actually would be something of a spy spot because uh, they. Actually, the Chinese are not coming back to Japan uh, that, that, that uh, soon, so I think uh, they probably may 
may see a uh, spike up in Chinese uh, tourists uh, next year. So I think uh, that that is uh, something exciting for Japan. And, and David, the market seems to be very correlated with the yen, doesn't it? It's the equity market. So if people believe that the Bank of Japan's not going to be able to raise rates um, as they thought in the next maybe two or three months, then the yen's going to slide again. And that, that's normally good for Japanese stocks. Yeah, I guess it comes down to if you have, you have cash, you have a choice, put it under your mattress and earn nothing or try the stock market and hope it goes up. Um, you don't have much choice if, if you're in Japan. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, what about the US? I mean, Alex, uh, jobs growth in the US fell to the lowest level uh, since July, partly boosted by striking workers uh, returning in the car industry and in Hollywood. Added uh, The employers added 199,000 jobs in November. That was uh, more than the 150,000 added in October, exceeded market expectations as well. I mean, Alex, uh, presumably the significance of all of this is what does it mean for the Fed? I think that it means that the weight problem may not come down soon. So I think that this is expected in the market. As you can see, the actual the reaction in the bond market and the equity market is different. Uh, last Friday, um, the bond market actually was weak, and then the equity market actually comes up. So I think uh, people probably may expecting a soft landing situation in 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 the U.S. I think uh, other parts of the world actually are weakening. If you um, look at Japan, if you look at Europe, probably they are slowing. And China, of course, is slowing down. So I think that people probably expect uh, the other parts of the world actually would have to contain inflation. And the um, US, market, US economy actually is doing quite good. So probably we are entering into a uh, soft landing situation in the US. And then that, I think, uh, is also supporting the equity market. Because uh, probably weight will stay high, but uh, companies actually are operating in a uh, quite good environment. So that's why I think uh, the equity market is uh, holding quite okay. But uh, if you look at the bond market, I think uh, people probably would now expect that the Fed will not um, cut rate easily now. Mm. Although the bond market is still predicting four rate cuts next year. Do you think that's a bit excessive? Uh, I think uh, they will change the expectations soon because uh, if you will have a uh, two or more fee sets uh, of uh, job data like that, then probably we would change very fast. Because if you look at the expectations right now, actually that changed uh, only a few weeks ago because uh, of a few set of data. So that could be reversed easily if we have uh, an, uh, if we have uh, strong sets of data coming out uh, in the next month. David, what's your thoughts on this? Not just the jobs data, of course, the average hourly earnings, they were up as well, more than expected, up 0.4%. I suppose great for workers, but again, another troubling sign for the Federal Reserve. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, a lot of the 4% it was based on probably annual inflation figures. So part of that, I, and also uh, it's tough to keep people right now because it, it, it is a tight job market. So you got to pay up to keep and, and, and hire people. Um, I, I'm surprised how resilient the, the U.S. market's been. I mean, a year ago, I think we're sitting around talking recession, and I get you got to give some credit to to the um, the Fed Reserve and for keeping what looks going to be a soft landing. Um, next week will be interesting. You have the uh, on Thursday the summary of econ- economic projections coming out, where they'll give some guidance on on how they're going to handle the balance sheet and future interest rates. But I think. As we, we said here, it looks like rates will slowly come off, or at least stay stable for a while, but then come off next year. At least that's anticipation. Um, it's 
been a strong market there. It, it's um, and I guess going into the election, it's going to be interesting as well because how do how do how do markets generally go into an election? They they do what they can to keep the economy higher. So um, interesting times. Alex, this is an important week, isn't it, for the markets? Because we've got a lot of central banks meeting, not just the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of England, the Swiss Central Bank, the Norwegian Central Bank. In about uh, two or three days, rates are going to be set for 60% of the global economy. So this is going to be quite uh, significant. But what do you think it means for for markets? First of all, for US um, equities, where they seem to have stalled out a bit now after that strong uh, November rally. Yeah, I think uh, the U.S. market actually is still a polarized market. So right now, it's still mainly supported by the tech. And, uh, but uh, we are seeing some pickup in the Russell 2000 uh, recently. I think uh, if we change into a uh, soft lending expectation, then probably we may see some uh, catch-up buying among uh, small caps. So uh, probably we may see some uh, shift in focus. But uh, overall, I think the uh, U.S. market was, will still be outperforming. And, and also another market, which is super strong is the European market. I think that that is um, probably helping by the uh, wake cut expectations because uh, in the US, probably the market, the, the economy is much more resilient than expected. And I think uh, people probably expect Euro to cut rates uh, much sooner than the, UAE, than the US. So I think that, that is helping the um, European market as well. So uh, looks like to me that uh, the, the ECB and the uh, Bank of England probably will be a little bit important to watch because uh, right now, if you at the performance among the global market. Actually, Europe is uh, going up uh, quietly, and then they are super strong. They are up for uh, up continuously for several uh, consecutive sections already. So I think uh, that probably may still be the focus this week. David, a lot of the performance this year has come from these seven, uh, magnificent seven tech companies. If you take that performance away, there's almost nothing left in the, the S&P 500 uh, as performance. But it can't go on like this, can it? Because the market has really um, moved ahead because of multiple expansion. But we're now at sort of, um, you know, 32 times earnings on, uh, on, on average on, on these companies. So presumably pressure's mounting now, particularly on those companies that are promising all these earnings from AI, driving up those multiples. Next year is the year they've got to deliver, isn't it? You would, you would think so. Um, but they, they just keep, these companies are so big and so strong, they keep consolidating, and for lack of a better word, power. They're, they're very good at what they do. They, they have dominant um, market shares. But you're right, you can't keep growing a trillion dollar company at 30% a year. I, I just don't see that happening. Mm. Um, I, But, you know, maybe the focus does go on to, to you know, some of it's trading driven, because that's how the world is right now. You have you know, masses of, you know, masses of people's, um, concentrating on five to seven stocks and just trading them all day. And that, that does drive a lot of the volume and some of the, the, um, the share price, but hope, you know, I think as they slow down, earnings may not match expectations. I think we'll start looking towards other stocks and they become in the focus and things do, do become more reasonable. And then we get proper PEs coming in or, or you always, well, we normalize towards a trend long-term. So you'll have anomalies for a couple of years and then things come back. But I think these companies are incredibly strong. And every time you doubt them, you know, at least for the last 20 or well, 10 years, you 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 get bitten. Um, mm. that, that's been the, the, the experience, isn't it, this year of fund managers, those that have uh, not been there, they've missed out very badly. And a lot of fund managers have got the macro picture for the US completely wrong this year. They were predicting at the beginning of the year a recession. Yeah, it's totally, totally true. I think, you know, a lot of managers have... Um, 
the ones I, I, I can't, actually, Alex is speaking about the fund managers better than I can, but for, for the overall view I see in the market, you, you have a lot of managers became very cautious the beginning of the, beginning of the year, got a lot of cash, um, kept some money in tech, but those managers who held a lot of cash ended up underperforming. Yeah. Um, Alex, let's finish with the local market here. The Hang Seng is slumped for uh, four straight months now since uh, since July. So far, the performance this year down 17.4%. It's raised $631 billion in market value, the worst performer um, globally. And it's also heading for a 40-year um, of declines, which will be the longest losing streak in the Hang Seng's history. Daily turnover down 14% compared with the five-year average. The IPO market having its worst year since 2000. Um, we talk about this every Monday. Um, any sign at all yet of, of any relief from the pain? I don't think so. I think uh, we probably may still be edging lower. But of course, uh, we are already quite low, so the pace of decay probably may slow down. But uh, overall, I think uh, the recent worry is that uh, we are seeing interests are going uh, from the uh, Chinese brand to uh, global brands. If you look at Hermes, if you look at Adidas, Actually, they are approaching, the, they are still hovering around the high and probably will be breaking into new high soon. But if you look at Ning and Anta in Hong Kong, actually, they are they are breaking new lows every day. So I think that people probably um, are changing their style of play. They probably, uh, if you want to play China consumption, you probably want to play the local uh, global brand because uh, they probably may be safer. They have uh, a resilient U.S. market and probably they have an Indian market to enter. Mm. And they have uh, some exposure in China, so they they are safer to play. Uh, China is only one of the major market. But if you look at Anta, if you look at Meaning, China is only the major market. So that's why I think people are changing their style. So that's why we are seeing a devaluation of Chinese consumption stocks recently, and that is uh, already pushing uh, uh, the 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 dojam in 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 the local market uh, further, because uh, if you look at the uh, housing stocks in Hong Kong, if you look at the uh, internet stocks in Hong Kong, they are already done so much. So I think uh, this is uh, another new factor of worry in Hong Kong. So the outlook is still quite bearish. And all our big stocks, for various reasons, are being hit, aren't they? We talked about Alibaba last week and the problems it's facing. Now, uh, Tencent Process is selling more of its stake, and it seems to be quite happy to sell out um, at the year low. Um, that, that's not a good sign either. Yeah, because they have so much to dump, so that's why I think uh, they do not uh, uh, care about too much of the, the price. And actually, three hundred for them is still uh, a, a good price uh, because mm-hmm. they their cost is so low. And I think uh, uh, this is a problem for us because uh, the major tax actually still have um, some major shareholders uh, to 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 unload. So uh, this is also limit the upside. So I think uh, if if we do not see any uh, big catalysts coming out from China, which is uh, to change the uh, long-term picture, which make people feel safer to put money com- to commit in in longer period of time, then I think uh, we probably may still be edging lower. Uh, Sixteen thousand actually is not too cheap if you think about May Tuan. It is uh, at one hundred dollar. You think it is already quite low, but uh, mm-hmm. after the the latest result, actually, it is it, it is already quite high. So I think that people probably may still uh, be uh, very com- com- uncomfortable to to commit in long term in Hong Kong. So that's why I think uh, we probably still in bear bear trend. David, final thoughts from you. I mean, a significant statistic here: the Indian market, the National Stock Exchange, close to overtaking Hong Kong now in terms of market capitalization. 
Yeah, I, I think that's inevitable given the population there and and, and the um, the companies that are are flourishing in India. Um, you know, Hong Kong it does have a tough ride. We haven't had um, you need something to change the confidence here, um, but the yeah we're, we're you know Hong Kong has been a global financial. Um, force for ages but if people don't want to put their money here they're going to find somewhere else to put it and unfortunately you know for black well and any india is just flourishing and growing really well and, and very strongly and, and india has a number of um great things going for it right now mm. so i think it's just going to continue okay well look thank you both very much for your thoughts at the beginning of the uh, of the week have a great week you heard there david friedland who's managing director for asia pacific at interactive brokers and also alex wong who's director of alex ky wong asset management I'm joined now by ben cavender who is managing director of the china market research group up in shanghai morning ben Good morning. Uh, more data out on uh, Friday, well, in fact, over the weekend, about uh, China's deflation. It seems like deflation is getting worse um, on the mainland. Consumer prices fell half a percent year on year in November. How concerned should we be uh, about this? Because it's becoming quite persistent now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is becoming a little bit of uh, a structural worry at this point. Um, but I, again, looking at those numbers, a lot of the deflation, at least on the consumer side, was really primarily coming from a drop in food prices. So part of that as well is just supply and, and what's available in the market. But having said that, in interviews and surveys we, we do with consumers, people are still clearly very cautious about consumption, very cautious about making large purchases, and are definitely going through a phase right now of um, buying down in a lot of cases. And so I, I don't expect the situation to recover anytime soon, absent some degree of uh, stimulus coming from the government. Mm, and on what sort of stimulus would you like to see? Well, I mean, I think the 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 complicated issue here really still, you know, beyond anything else, it's two things. It's the real estate market and it's the job market. And I, I think uh, you know, the idea of you know transfer payments to consumers probably isn't going to happen. That's not going to be enough to actually get people to spend anyway. So it's really going to be consumers looking to understand what the government is doing from a support standpoint to to prop up some of the big developers here to make sure that real estate that's been bought and paid for actually gets finished uh, and that there's sort of signs of life there. And then I think also the job market, um, even though we don't have the statistics available anymore about youth unemployment, I think that there's a very real issue with, with people in their early 20s entering the workforce really feeling very underemployed right now. And so that's that's an area where you'd probably like to see the government taking more steps to, to provide solutions. I mean, presumably, if, if the issue here uh, and the reason why we're seeing this decline in inflation is a, is a lack of demand, if you want to get demand, consumer confidence up, you've got to find a way in which you can put more money into people's pockets, maybe get their incomes up uh, somehow. And if the government doesn't want to make subsidies to, to families and, and to households, are there other things they could do instead? Maybe tax cuts, things like that, something that just makes the consumer have more money to spend and, and feel a bit richer. Yeah, I mean, I think I think tax cuts are certainly a start. I think the challenge there, though, is that consumers are in such a cycle of concern right now that even if they have a little bit more money 
no longer leaving their bank account because of taxes. Right now, a lot of those people are just saying, I'm going to bank this for a rainy day because I don't know you know, what's going to happen with my business. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get the job I want. So it would help, but I, I still don't know if it would be enough. I, I think the government probably is going to have to find ways to to create hiring programs or to, to create ways to to get more, especially of the younger college grads entering into the workforce right now, finding employment that they see as being valuable so we don't have millions of young Chinese sort of deciding to sit at home, lay flat, uh, and, and not actually even try to pursue work. I, th- I think that's really where a lot of the, the stall out is coming right now. And, and the government, I mean, if you listen to what government officials are saying, and even what President Xi Jinping is saying, they seem to be aware of what the problem is, um, but sort of reluctant to do an awful lot about it. If anything, they seem to just keep reminding us that buckle up because things are going to get worse before they get better. We had President Xi Jinping saying the economy is at a critical juncture. And, and similarly from the head of the PBOC, basically saying things are going to get worse before they get better, but not actually putting many solutions on the table. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's tough. I There's this perception generally, I think, amongst China watchers that have been here is that the government generally does a good job of managing the economy and managing long-term planning. But they've sort of managed themselves into a corner a little bit right now. I think COVID really accelerated some of the, the problems that the economy here has with local government debt, with a lot of the risk in the real estate sector. Uh, and that's all kind of come to a head now and kind of getting out from under that really is not something that can happen in one quarter or two quarters. And so I think the government is taking the long-term approach where, you know, maybe we really do have to sacrifice short-term growth and, and sort of work on moving towards stability, even if it hurts. And so I think that's the, the tack they're taking, whether that's the, the right way to go or the wrong way. It's hard to say. Um, but I, I really, I, I think the consumer market, it's, you know, it's growing, it's it's going in the right direction, but I think people are still cautious. I think the, the challenge is other sectors of the economy, you look at exports, you know, factory prices are still, you know, very much in a deflationary spiral right now. There's not a lot of global demand. Um, so there aren't that many levers the government can pull right now. Mm. And we, we've got the, uh, the Central Economic Work Conference coming up later this month. Should we expect um, any signals from that that may give us hope? You know, I think that there's going to be a lot of talk about how maybe things are stabilizing, how there is going to be appropriate government support for the economy. But the, the you know the the devil's in the details and what what they decide appropriate actually looks like. Because if it's just you know cuts to reserve ratios for banks, if it's very targeted infrastructure investment, um, it's probably not going to do enough to to drive really strong growth. But I mean, frankly speaking, we're, we're probably past the days of, of, you know, six, 7% growth anyway. So I, I think mm-hmm. right now the government would be happy if they just sort of keep slowly marching in the right direction. Do you think we'll see more details about some of the things they've said so far? I mean, they were saying back in uh, October that they were going to resolve default risks. I think that was the word they used, resolve default risks for large property groups, stabilise expectations. I think that was another phrase. But we haven't really seen what that involves yet and and, and what particularly it means. Do you think we will see any details of that? Yeah, I mean, this this time around has been interesting because usually you get some draft reports that get circulated before any official policy is enacted, and you kind of have a pretty good idea of what's going to be happening. And this time around, that, that hasn't really happened the same way. 
So I, I would think that we would start seeing more details, but I think the reality is, is that to solve some of these default risks, there's a lot of negotiation going on behind closed doors, rumors that there's going to be pressure applied maybe to large insurance companies to kind of take on the burden of some of these real estate developers through equity swaps or some other arrangements. And so I think working that all out and, and coming to a final conclusion that is stable, that works for everybody is is not easy. And that's probably why we, we haven't heard more so far. And they're also talking about investments now in manufacturing. Um, how do we make sure that the investment that is going into manufacturing isn't wasted investment in the same way that it was when it was put into the property sector, that it's going to be productive investment? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's tough. I think there are a couple things. One, it's very clear that that certain segments of the economy, probably overinvestment has already happened. If you look at car manufacturing and the EV space, certainly. I think China probably has a surplus of supply right now. And 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 it's a good thing in the sense that it, it's going to put Chinese automakers in a very strong position globally very quickly. But it also, you know, is a is a cliff that they're they're kind of driving towards. And so there's going to be a big shakeup and consolidation in that industry as well already because of the overinvestment. I think in other manufacturing sectors Continued investment is is well and good and probably should happen, you know, semiconductors, uh, other advanced manufacturing. But the big question is going to be, can China convince foreign business, foreign investors that they want to be placing money back into China? And I, I think they haven't really told that story well yet. And so to avoid that overinvestment, they need to they need to get, I think, international firms more on board again. And presumably, if they can't absorb um, all this sort of excess capacity domestically, they're going to have to try and export it abroad. But there's limited capability for particularly the EU to go and um, increase their trade deficits with, uh, with, with China and actually absorb all these products that are coming out of China, particularly in things like electric vehicles. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, the EV industry is going to be an interesting test case because I think China will be quite successful exporting to Southeast Asia, to the Middle East, to, to, to parts of Africa, to Australia. But yeah, you look at the EU where there are already you know really strong entrenched players and there's government support for making sure that those players can still remain competitive. It'll, it'll be very interesting to see what happens because right now, Chinese brands like BYD are making pretty good headway actually getting into the market, but they're kind of coming up against the limit of how quickly they can expand without there being a lot more trade tension. Mm. Let me finally ask you about the markets. It's been pretty dire, both for Hong Kong and mainland China markets. The Hang Seng um, hit a 13-month low last week. It's down so far um, now uh, for for the year, um, about uh, 16%. The CSI 300 on the mainland um, is down about 10% uh, year to date. Things not looking good, are they really, for Chinese stocks overall? But do you see any signs of maybe things stabilising for next year and improving? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely been a, a bit of a dismal run uh, recently. I mean, I think when you talk to a lot of institutional investors, they're sort of limiting their exposure to China. And instead, you know, if they do have China exposure, it's through investment in multinationals that have a presence here. So it, it's really been tough on a lot of listed Chinese companies. Um, I do think that now is probably a good time to start thinking about value plays here, and, you know, looking at, uh, you know, consumer uh, like 
consumer cyclical goods, uh, FMCG products, things like that, that, that a lot of people will continue to buy or, or, you know, be interested in buying more of when, when things are a little bit slow. Um, so yeah, I, I, I actually say that this coming year is, is probably going to be quite a bit better than this year was. Um, but just overall investor sentiment is still really weak. Okay. Well, that's good to hear a nice positive note to finish on. Thank you very much, Ben. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. That's Ben Cavender, who is Managing Director at the China Market Research Group up in Shanghai. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves on my daily newsletter. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Woods. See you tomorrow. Money Talk.